So you've heard us talk about subsurface drip irrigation. You're saying, I wonder if that would be something I should put in myself. I wonder what the results are. I wonder if there's an actual baseline, maybe enough information, a body of experience we can pull from. Well, there is, and that's what we're talking about today. Kelly Garrett's subsurface drip irrigation turns eight. We're going to tell you what he's learned and how he's applying it better for bigger results on his Iowa farm on this edition of Cutting the Curve. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. More than just a podcast, it's the place for insights and information you can apply immediately to your farming operation for increased success. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Ag Explorer, with innovative products that improve fertilizer efficiency, protect yield potential, and reduce stress. Ag Explorer helps growers maximize field potential. Find out how Ag Explorer can help you get more out of your crop at agexplorer.com. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. I've got Kurt Grimm with NutriDrip joining us. It's a subsurface drip irrigation uh, product installer. And I've got Kelly Garrett, area in Iowa, founder of Extreme Ag. You've seen us before. In fact, I just last month was in the field with these guys talking about his subsurface drip irrigation unit. It's pretty cool stuff. I didn't even know how this stuff worked. I knew it was on specialty crops like almonds and whatnot out in California. And uh, I learned about this thing. It's basically a little teeny hose, a little piece of plastic with a little pinhole in it. They put about 12 to 16 inches under the ground and they irrigate from the bottom up. Kurt and I talked about this at Commodity Classic. We've talked about it at Kelly's Farm, talked about it a couple other places. So the point is, what have we learned in eight years? That's what we're going to cover today because it's pretty cool stuff. You probably don't have one because very few acres do have this. Even Kelly only has this on about 5% of his acres. So what did we learn in eight years? Kurt, first off, did I get anything wrong right there? I mean, I go by everything you tell me and I try and retain it, but you're the irrigation expert. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got it. That's uh, that's where we're at. It's, it's, a, it's a journey, but it's been a good journey. Am I right that it's 12 to 16 inches underground? That is correct. 12 to 16 inches under the ground. Um, we're going to apply around a quarter inch a day of water, depending on how, how the uh, well is set up, um, fertigate, irrigate every acre. Yeah. And by the way, if you know, you and I have talked about this with Mr. Garrett, but we always assume that the person that's tuning into this to listen to it or to watch it is not seeing any of our past episodes. So while we're talking about subsurface drip irrigation, the quick overview is it, that little hose, that little piece of plastic that has the pinholes in it that gets buried underground. It's about a half inch in diameter, right? That's correct. Half inch to seven, eight. Sometimes we'll go up to an inch diameter, depending on how long the runs are. So the longer the runs, the bigger the diameter. There's going to be an emitter every 27, 24 inches. That's where the water actually comes out at. Got it. And you can run it for quite a ways because one of the things we talked about at Ag PhD last year was using this to take care of uh, surface water that comes off of the large dairy facilities that's got a bunch of different organic products in it. That's correct. Yep. And we're running systems. Even Kelly has a system that pushes water over a mile. And then the within the drip line, we're going over a half a mile. So, yeah. And so when you talk about it varying in sizes, that's kind of like a piece of duct work. When you've got to go to the far end of a building, it's bigger here and it gets smaller as it goes down. Yours is kind of like that, right? That's correct. Yep. Start out with a 10 inch main line telescope all the way down to a three inch and then right, down so to the drip line. 
Uh, subsurface drip irrigation is used in not that many broad acre. It's more of a specialty crop thing. And you and I talk about this very few percentage of the acres in the Iowa's or the Kansas cities or the Indiana's or the uh, Illinois, Ohio sort of stuff, Nebraska, where we think of traditional crop belt has this, right? That's correct. It's, it's still a niche. It's a, it's something that, that is growing um, primarily, obviously center pivot irrigation is very predominant, but we're learning how to use drip irrigation better, not only for water utilization, but also for nutrient delivery and being able to, to, to use the drip line as an IV right to the drip, right to the root zone and really um, stimulate the plants, stimulate nutrient uptake, um, being able to spoon feed that crop every day, whatever it needs. So I, I think there's there's a, a, a really big potential once we understand and, and, and we're learning that, that interaction and how do we feed the plant better and how do we make sure that plant never has a bad day. I like it. So anyway, I'm sorry. I know that you you think that we've covered this, but we always got to assume that somebody's tuning in here. Maybe if they did watch our conversation with Commodity Classic, which by the way is a good one. We were at the booth uh, with Kurt, and I remember you said something that I thought was interesting because I said from an environmental standpoint, we're going to see more drip irrigation because with water being more and more in the crosshairs, especially in some of these western states, kind of a drought year going on out west, center pivot can be inefficient. You said you use about 30% less water per per uh, acre and per crop. Per crop produces probably even less than that, right? Yeah, so water use efficiency is going to increase somewhere around 20, 25, 30%. It depends on the day. It depends on the humidity, the wind. All those things are big, big factors. There's been a lot of research done in, in West Texas, Western Nebraska, Western Kansas, where they've, they've proved out what the difference in evaporation is. And it's somewhere in that 20 to 30% that, that a center pivot typically loses to evaporation. Got it. All right. Speaking of water, Kelly, before we hit record on this episode, you said one of the interesting things that you learned in your eighth year now of running this subsurface drip irrigation on the field there by your shop, in particular, quality of water. You didn't think your water was a problem. You don't have like contaminants, but you've learned that all water is not created equal. Talk about that. It's not, you know, and uh, Kurt and I talked about this, you know, probably three years ago but I didn't have the education or resources to fully understand it. And we keep learning more and more about it. And, you know, to put it quite simply, my water stinks. It, it's high in bicarbonates. It's high in iron. It's, it's hard water. And the bicarbonates tie up a lot of the fertility. And so it's something that we've started to deal with now to, to take those bicarbonates out. We use sulfur. And that's what we need to do to make the, re the next yield level. By the way, you, you've you changed some of your water conditioning. Is that going to remedy it or does it change? Do you have to change your practices or you can you just condition the water and get it where you need to be? We, uh, what we have done is we, the plant food byproduct that I deal with, my main source of fertility, we spoon feed that into the water because of the sulfuric acid in that plant food product, the sulfur, the, the sulfur destroys the sulfur and the hydrogen in the sulfuric acid component of that product really knock the knock the bicarbonates back and make the nutrients become available so we just spoon feed that product in with the water is how we is how we deal with the problem it's very inexpensive for us we're lucky that we can do that got it all right kurt is this something you hear all the time is it something you now warn people about or was he a guinea pig and then you learned from him about this water thing yeah, 
so I, I'd say we've kind of learned it together. I mean, bicarbonates is something that we maybe we haven't paid a lot of attention to until, yeah, the last two, three, four years. And and understanding that bicarbonates neutralize cations. The cation is phosphorus, calcium, magnesium. So anytime you're injecting um, potassium or magnesium into the water or in your soil, the bicarbonates in the water actually offset it. It ties it up. It makes it unavailable to the plant. And so when, when, when we started looking at water quality and why we were seeing some nutrients that we had applied either through the drip or even a strip till or however guys had applied nutrients, they simply were not available to the plant. They weren't getting in the plant. Um, and so we started asking questions, well, why would that be? And, and looked at water quality and those bicarbonates are offsetting the, the nutrients that we've applied. Go out and apply, apply you know, 500 pounds an acre of, of O60 and you're still deficient in potassium. Why is that? And, and, and a lot of cases where guys irrigate a lot of water and have high bicarbonates, they have simply offset those pounds of potassium with bicarbonates. All right. So besides water getting when you obviously have a dry year, uh, first time I was at Kelly Garrett's farm was in July of 2021. We drove around recklessly, I might add, in a small Ford Ranger flatbed that uh, Kelly was in a hurry. And I don't think it had proper uh, ear, airbags or a seatbelt. And he drove around recklessly. Luckily, there's no workman's comp claim, and I was able to get through the, the mental trauma. But anyway, we did go and check out a bunch of ponds that he uses. And I said, is this how you irrigate? So the, he was pulling water out of ponds. But again, water source out of a couple of those fields are coming out of ponds. The other one's coming out of a well. Water is different in all of those. So the point is, you kind of have to do water sampling from each one of your sources before you actually then can make any amendments. Yes? Yeah. And surface water is good. Well water is bad. That's the general rule. Interesting. I've never so, met anybody with well water that's good. So the point is, Kurt, if you can, pulling out of a drainage pond is is better than pulling out of your uh, pulling out of your well. It absolutely is. Yeah, surface. I'll take surface water ten times before I take uh, well water. Well, wells typically are very high in bicarbonates. They can have a lot of iron and manganese, which can cause problems, even for pivot irrigated guys. That's one of the things that we're learning. We have both pivots and drip on our farm, and and we're learning that there's a bicarbonate issue underneath our center pivots, and so we're starting to address that with sulfur burners, sulfuric acid, plant food. Um, you know, there's different ways to treat bicarbonates, but but really it's an issue that exists in all of the irrigated farmland out there where they're fed off of wells specifically. Yeah, another thing, Kelly, that we talked about when you're at your place is it gives you another tool in your toolbox as far as using the subsurface drip irrigation to push out micronutrients. And you've done that pretty effectively. The one I remember speaking about the most was calcium, but it's not just calcium. You can you can bleed out and, and, and put trace amounts of stuff through the subsurface drip irrigation on a prescription basis. Right. We, we barely turn the water on without some sort of fertility in it. So, um, you know, and it's not a lot of fertility. It's just enough, like, Lee said we just need to touch the plant to trigger it, and that's mainly what we're doing. Okay, so you've used something in most all of your treatments, and it's just, a, it's just to the person like me that no, it's just a tank that's just bleeding in there, and it just goes, and you just put the, you set an adjustment, here's how much we want to go, and it's easily done? Right, you know, it's a fertigation pump, and it's how many gallons per hour do you want to pump out? So you, 
you know, simply do the math in your head for what you're applying and set it and go. All right. What has eight years of having this on your farm taught you besides the water quality issue and the usage of micronutrients? It has taught me that it is, it has given me security to make the decisions with marketing, to make the decisions with fertility and to, to try to go higher. Uh, our drip acres have really become our research acres because mm -hmm. we know we're going to produce something. And, uh, you know, specifically the trials from extreme ag, we know we're going to, we, we know what we've got, you know, at, other than a windstorm or a hailstorm, but when you know what you've got, it makes the research that much easier. It makes the decision-making that much easier because you have control of another facet of your operation. By the way, we're going to drop in a, a little uh, little story here. Uh, this, away from subsurface drip irrigation, it's about stress mitigation because it's been one of Kelly's big things for about since I first met him back in 2021. He says the plate full of food fed to an unhealthy person who can't eat it is a waste of nutrition. So if you apply that same concept to your crops, what do you have? Basically, if you have plants that are stressed out and unable to uptake nutrients, applying more nutrients will not help. Kelly Garrett applies Accomplished Max in furrow for stress mitigation. If you want healthier plants, visit lovelandproducts.com. Because what does Kelly Garrett say? Because remember, I have retention up here. He says, none of us really know what a stress-free crop looks like because we've almost never seen one. That's probably a true story. All right, speaking of stress-free, right now, when I was out there two weeks ago in your part of the world, it was dry, terrible dry. But the field behind your barn your barn, looked pretty dry also. And you had subsurface drip irrigation. And I said, hey, I understand why the field over there looks like crap and why the field over there looks like crap. Why does this field look like crap? You've got subsurface drip irrigation. In it. Why don't you turn it on? And you said... You don't want to turn soybeans on ahead of the summer solstice, ahead of the reproductive time, because you're just going to produce a bunch of vegetative growth. Those soybeans, we want to wait until reproductive time to water. Okay. So I thought that was interesting, Kurt. By the way, you're not in your head. You're from Kansas. You're not even supposed to be in the soybean business out there. It's wheat. It's wheat for you people. Wheat and grain sorghum. And now you're nodding your head. Is he right? He's right. Yep. I'm in Eastern Kansas. hundred percent agree. We have seldom seen a response to irrigation on soybeans before reproductive stage. It just, just makes the plant get tall, fall over later. It stretches it out. Um, I'm not saying never do it, but unless they're really starting to show a lot of stress, um, it's not worth irrigating soybeans early. Kurt Graham, we said we're going to talk about things that have been uh, takeaways and big benefits and learning. Uh, he's in its eighth year. What have you learned about going to that part of the world? That is that your first system you put in in that part of uh, Iowa? It was. Yeah, that was the first part in that part of Iowa in that extreme of a terrain, you know, a lot of hills. Uh, definitely learned a lot um, about designing systems and getting them to hold together and not blow apart. And um, yeah, there's definitely some challenges when you have 110 pounds of pressure at the well. But just, yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, working with Kelly and thinking about where we started, I think Kelly's dry land production would have been what, 220, 230 bushel when we started. And and now where are we, right? Like where, how did we get that extra 70 and 80 bushel? And just thinking about how that journey's, um, how that journey's gone. So if you're grabbing an extra 30 or 35% of yield, how long does it take you, Kelly? Speaking of the eight year thing, is the system paid for by now? Cause we're going to be, you know, we're going to be an open book here at Extreme Ag. Is the system paid for by now? Yeah, the system's absolutely paid for by now. At that time, we figured a six year payback and then with a couple of dry years in there and increase a better corn market, uh, it probably paid for itself in four years. 
four years. Is that what you tell people, Kurt? Uh, we say three. We say five to seven. If the yeah, poor market's hot, you're going to pay for it in less than less than five, even. Yep. What else? What else do you think the person that's contemplating putting in something like this? So he's got eight years of experience. We heard uh, water quality. You got to understand that before you can make this system work. We heard micronutrients. We heard then stability on on a bad year. I can use this to justify you know marketing, etc. And then we just chatted a little bit about uh, the, putting the system in out there, and then we talked about the economics. Give me one last thing, and we're gonna get out of here. Um, added land value. I mean, just the the thing of going just going from dry land to irrigated. Immediately, you get an increase in book value and appraised value and and land value. So it's a, uh, I mean, you you win on all fronts. Um, and and being able to add value to land you already own, the, a depreciable um, improvement that you can put on land you already own versus going out and buying more land in today's market just seems like it, it is, it's, it's a no brainer for guys that, that have water. So uh, that's where it all starts. Find the water. All right. And all right. By the way, Kelly, he's with Nutrigyp. So obviously he's all for it. Give me one negative, you know, in livestock judging, Kurt, if you took livestock judging, you've always got to say something positive, something positive, but then you gotta give them something negative and then something positive on the way out the door. So the kid will come back next year. Basically it's how it is. We've done some positives. Now give me a negative. Is there anything, is there anything honestly in the eight years that you're like, man, I wish I had known this. I wish I'd have done this differently. I wish I would have studied the water sooner. Other than the water quality, has there been anything that was like, man, I wasn't quite anticipating this? No, I had to buy more trucks. <laughs> so it, it made you more yield, made you more yield. But now, obviously, when you think about this, this is part of intensive agriculture. You just put a picture out the other day of Evans, your uh, agronomist and my my buddy, uh, who was holding up a soybean on intensively managed agriculture. So this is absolutely the epitome of intensively managed agriculture. It is. You're controlling, yeah, very intensive management, controlling the fertility, controlling the water, uh, right down to the acre, right down to the gallon of water. Absolutely. It doesn't get more intensive than this. So where I see this thing working out even better, and, and you're not quite there, but when we were at Ag PhD last year, we talked about using this as, uh, as a... Uh, accoutrement as an accessory along with livestock so you've got your 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 livestock uh lagoons you can't run straight liquid manure through this because it's a touch too chunky but this is absolutely works even better for if you've got a hog facility dairy facility down the road you can make this work for free fertilizer as well as the water yes Right. So we're doing a lot of work now taking um, solids out of manure and just taking the liquid portion of the manure and uh, and injecting that into the drip system along with water um, to apply it to the field during the growing season. So lots of options. Um, every livestock facility has a different manure system. So we've got different options for lagoons, deep pits, dairy, swine, beef, um, but definitely, definitely an option. And when you sell it to them, when you sell it to them, it's not just irrigation. Then obviously there is some fertility, even in the, in the stuff. The solids have a, a bunch of it, but the liquid has a good amount too, yes? It does, yeah. Nitrogen, potassium, pretty much all stay in the liquid. About 30% of the phosphorus is in the in the solids. So, Kurt, you called it manure, like it's got an E-W-E-R, like it's newer versus older. I call it manure because when I look at the word pure, sure, uh, a fishing lure. I don't know. Which one is it? What are you going with? I've always thought you said it weird, Damien. I always thought you didn't pronounce the second syllable there or something. It's manure. I just thought it was like an Eastern time zone thing, manure. Yeah. What if I wanted to make you feel confident? I want to assure you. 
What if I wanted to tell you that it's not all words are pronounced the same, Damien. That's the mystery of the English language. I'm Damien Mason. I'm going to wrap this up right here. We're going to talk about the English language after I stop the recording. I've got Kurt Grimm from NutriDrip. If they want to learn more about this, Kurt, where do they go? Uh, NutriDrip.com. We've got a lot on our website. We also have a YouTube page with a lot of content on it as well. That's NutriDrip.com. His name is Kurt Grimm. The other guy here is Kelly Garrett, who apparently in his part-time uh, offers, you know, tutorial in the English language. Till next time, this is Extreme Ash Cutting the Curve. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cutting the Curve. For more insights and information that you can apply to your farming operation, visit ExtremeAg.farm. Are your crops stressed out? Ag Explorer has you covered with a full line of products designed to reduce crop stress and improve yields. Check out agexplore.com and start protecting your yields and profits.